I feel you like know. any second now, Robert's going to just join this this podcast. He's listening, and he's like, "This is ridiculous." He is listening. So this one's for you, Robert. <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. Today, I'm here with Mike Law, President, Kara Lewis, EVP, Head of U.S. Investment, and Dave Cederbaum, EVP, Head of Video Investment at Amplify U.S., part of Dentsu. Hey, all welcome back to the pod. Hi. Having us. Before we dive in, do you mind giving our listeners a little insight into your roles and how they evolved over the years? That might be a podcast in and of itself just to figure out how our roles have changed. Obviously, our our goal from an overall investment standpoint was to take as much friction out of the setup as possible and really recognize the changes in, in media habits. So within investment, we're responsible for, for kind of all the channels with the exception of of paid uh, search in 2021, brought paid social into the team, formalized having programmatic as part of the team. And and again, it's really just that ability to seamlessly move dollars across channels. So from an overall Amplify standpoint, investment, partnerships, content, all coming together and create the best user experience we can. So I would say my role is is to put all that in one place. Awesome. I think what I'll add to it, because we all kind of come from the same background, is we're all we all started as TV buyers and we've all evolutionized into much more than that. You know, a lot of the times our heart probably is still with TV, but we are all investment and we've all come from that point and, and lived that that part of it. You know, to Kara's point, you know, what is fundamental about the three of us is is negotiations and and kind of deal making and the ability to create partnerships is at the core of what we do. And then we're trying to take that and put it through the lens on the other side of a consumer. So we want to balance getting the best quote unquote deal we can for our clients, but at the same time recognize that what's happening on the other side of the screen with the consumers, they don't know what we're doing. So how do we how do we make sure that we're maintaining that consumer experience? And then ultimately in the middle, if the, if the client's in the middle, you know, helping them to drive their, their business forward. So I think that's fundamentally what we're, we're all trying to do in our, in our roles. But really, Dave's the one who's got the, the pressure on, it, on his shoulders right now if we're talking about the, the upfront. I, I'm just trying to deprioritize Kara and I. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. All on you, Dave. Welcome to the upfront. The Dave show. I'm ready. <laughs> So three months into the pandemic, we had you on the pod, mic around just managing an investment and how things have changed. But now it's been a year in the pandemic and a new way of working. What's been the common thread of questions you've received from clients and partners over this past year? Clients are asking, is spending coming back? What is happening to ratings? Where should I be spending? Where should I be moving my money? What should I be buying against? Meaning demo, audience, anything out there currency-wise. You know, should I be buying this temple? Help me with buying this temple. Should I buy it? I mean, those are a lot of questions, I think, from a standpoint of things that I can just ramble off. But I think it's constant. I, Mike and I actually were talking the other day that we thought we thought when we were originally home and 
you know, when you talk to Mike, probably three months post pandemic of like all of the things we had to do for the clients between cutting and moving and shifting and doing all the things that we had to do for their money. This year is even crazier with all of the other questions of like, what's the right investment in terms of diversity inclusion? Like what's the right investment that I should be shifting outside of linear TV? So I just think it's, it's constant questions because they need to be educated because it's just changing so fast. Industry events, including new fronts and upfronts, have been completely disrupted. As we head into the second virtual upfront season, what have we learned from how the industry is handling this for advertisers? I would say the industry has handled it pretty well. I think that people at this point are very comfortable and used to looking at things remotely and doing things on their own time and in their own Zoom schedule. And even though these are structured events, I actually think it, it frees up more people to have the ability to join them, to pay attention and to process them because they don't have to get dressed up and go to Carnegie Hall. And and all those things are are fun and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around them and they serve a purpose, but the same thing can be accomplished virtually as we've all learned over the past year. So if anything, I think it provides more opportunity for more people to see a a condensed version of what used to be a big, big grandiose show but still getting across what the networks are trying to accomplish, which is showing their their value, showing their investment in programming and and touting all the content that they have to offer. So I actually think it's almost a a good thing. (laughs) People might disagree because the the parties are fun and the the big events are fun, but from a content perspective, we're, we're still able to obtain and ingest the same amount of information. To reiterate, you know, more people with more access and then, there's so many more partners, right? Like it would almost, we were already at three weeks worth of events. And then you add in the podcasts up front, that's now four weeks of events. Like this has just made it so much more accessible because you can do it at other times. So I think it's given more exposure to more media partners as well. Yeah, which is great. But from an advertiser and agency perspective, how has the industry shifted views and upfronts if they have now going virtual? Now going virtual in terms of the actual events, I, I don't know if that has actually changed anything except to, to Mike's point about making it more accessible and making the ability to go to more. The upfront events was always a process leading up to a, a transaction that we all did, and, and none of those dynamics really changed. So I, I don't think that the changing of the events going virtual has really detracted from anything. If, if anything, it's just added more opportunity for people to see it. I think the other thing is, is they can actually now too, if they can't join right at like 9am on Monday, when that event is, they can actually watch it that night if they want to, because now they're being taped and they're only like an hour or so, or maybe even less than that, where where some of the upfronts have run two and a half hours long. And you're, you're probably not going to sit and watch that on a Monday night, you know, and I don't even know that they were actually really accessible to watch that night when they were live, like when we were in person. You've been having many ongoing conversations with clients around the TV ad marketplace. What are some of the specific pieces of advice you've shared leading up to the upfronts? What we continue to tell our clients is just the ability to to stay nimble, recognize that we need to be able to adapt and make changes as the negotiations play out, that we, we don't want to be overly regimented to one way of thinking, and we have to be willing to explore new opportunities. And I, and I think that has really resonated, and most clients truly understand that and are, and are also willing to be less prescriptive than, than maybe we have been in years past, where 
the negotiation process was very regimented that you registered by a specific network, a specific day part. And now as consumption has changed, as, as our partnerships have changed and evolved, so too does our approach to the negotiation. So our advice has been bear with us as we work through the, the challenging landscape, but everyone has been very supportive and receptive to that as well, knowing that the ultimate goal is to find the best value in the market. And, and sometimes that, that takes time and sometimes that takes change and we're all in it together. And I think it's been, it's been well-received and it's been a good collaborative effort thus far. And hopefully that'll continue on for the next couple of weeks of negotiations. So how do you foresee the upfronts evolving though post-pandemic world? Are we going to jump right back into full-fledged events, two or three hours long, unaccessible? Like, what does that now look like to you if you had to make some bets? I think that, yes, there will be a return of some of that because this is an industry, I think, relationships and partnerships, and there's value in those connections. I think there will actually be, I think there's going to be less of the kind of day-to-day travel you know, that come in for a one hour meeting. And I think some of these kind of events will actually bring a lot of people together in an organized way. So I, I think, you know, come next year, or within the next couple of years, you will see, but I, I think they'll all be hybrid. They'll all have that option of, you know, a way to experience it virtually and on demand, just like all media is at this point. So I think we'll see some version of it return because the the connection and we're all yearning for it, right? Like I think we'd all like to get out of our house and do something different than what we're doing. So I I think we'll see a a return to it, but also with the added benefit of a virtual experience as well. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I think everyone and even partners are seeing the benefit of being so much more accessible to a broader audience. I think more people should be listening into these conversations besides some of the, you know, tier one, essentially in the teams. So it helps. 100%. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about OTT, obviously. How has the increased rate of streaming and a greater focus on cross platforms impacted upfronts? Or do you think it will this year more so? Listen, I think it it, it is always, or not always, for the last couple of years, it has certainly been a trend that is growing. We talked about the streaming wars well before the pandemic began, and we'll continue to talk to them well after the pandemic. What what 2020 did was solidified a lot of those habits that people had when they were home and they they discovered more on-demand content than ever before. As part of a result of that, and, and a lot of these plans were in place before, but many of the traditional media companies have established their own streaming platforms that now serve as a complement to what was historically a traditional linear marketplace. So it is certainly going to be front and center in this year's upfront, simply because all of the partners that we deal with have corresponding OTT platforms from the traditional sense. And then some of the new independent companies do as well. So when we look at holistic video investment, we think about it in a screen agnostic way. And the upfront just happens to be a defined time period where we do a lot of the transactions. So they're all tied in together and we will have as many of those conversations as we as we need to have. But as Karen and Mike both touched on, it's really about following the audiences on an individual client basis. And as those audiences naturally migrate to other areas, we follow that and we follow that from a transactional standpoint during this upfront time period. I think also streaming has just 
proven all that Dave said, but in addition, that content is really what is the consumers after. Like if you probably ask a room full of people, which maybe wouldn't be a room right now, but maybe a virtual room full of people, I bet you they'd probably tell you the program that they're watching, but not really the network or the the publisher that they're watching it on. The way that they've essentially tuned into content is completely different when they turn on their TV and they used to go to their favorite channel, they might be going to their favorite OTT app at this point. So it's it's just completely evolved and it's ingrained in the upfront. I mean, we, we did it several years ago as we talk about holistic video and it's just, it's continuing and the amount of partners that Dave and team have to negotiate with is just is just essentially growing or the partners within a partner. So I was reading in the trades actually that they're they're predicting less cancellations this year than previous years. And I'm also wondering, what is that saying about audience consumption? Like, are we just so bored and need to watch something at a constant rate that we're watching all these shows that we probably wouldn't have before in a, in a regular world of going in? Like, does that sound right to you that you think that things won't cancel as much this year? It's a good time to be a writer and a producer because there's an endless need for, for content and content is what draws viewers. So for all of these streaming platforms, you know, having the best and, and differentiated content is what's going to help them grow their subscriber base and their ad revenue and all, all of that. I, I do think programming has a much longer shelf life because a, a show that used to not make it on CBS at eight o'clock on Monday now might be a fit on Paramount Plus or might be a fit on on Hulu. We've seen shows that were on traditional TV not do well and then end up on a streaming service and they're you know number one on the recommended list. So I just think I think content does have a longer shelf life. So <laughs> cancellation will become a, a tricky word. We've heard this before about I you know I've never canceled the show or we've never canceled the show. Well, it just lives on in infamy on a platform somewhere. That doesn't mean they're promoting it either. Because it's an on-demand world, consumers can find pretty much anything that they're interested in watching. Even season 17 of Grey's Anatomy, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I got to catch up. I'm on season three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, same. And then I, I fell off. Like I was like, this is too much commitment. I got a lot of time, but not that much time. It's 16 years of more of the same, I'm pretty sure. Heartbreak, car accidents, big fires, cliffhangers. Uh, it's so true. So let's dive into DEI. Kara, you kind of mentioned this in the beginning, but how do you think DEI will show up in the upfronts this year and even more so beyond that point? DEI is obviously it's it's important. It's before everything that has been happening, I think, in society, it's always been important. And I think we as an agency have a framework that we've put together and we've been speaking to clients about and we're we're speaking to partners and we're making sure that you know we are authentic in what we do as well as you know doing right by each of the individual clients and whether it's meeting their strategic goals whether we're helping with infrastructure whether we're you know talking to help with measurement and or just you know full out partnership. We've formed some pretty significant partnerships to date that we're we're happy about and that we're, you know, pushing forward on behalf of our clients. And I think it's in our daily bread. It always has been and it will continue. And I think it's important. And I think society and the world believe that it is important and, and it's important to have it as part of our media spend. And it is there. 
from an upfront perspective, there is a chance that we will we will expand to some partners that we haven't historically spent with. But as I've heard Kara tell many clients and anyone who will listen, and I have certainly echoed it, it doesn't mean that we need to spend that money in the upfront. We can earmark money for DEI initiatives because those partnerships should take place over the course of the year. And as we talk to more people and we find more opportunities, we want to make sure that we have those investment dollars at the ready. So just because this is a time of year where a lot of money is spent, we certainly don't have to spend it all for the sake of doing that. And, and as we talk to more DEI partners and some of those take time to progress so we can educate ourselves and our clients on the value proposition, we know that, that those will live well beyond the next couple of weeks. And that is years long for that matter. So I echo what, what Kara has said to clients to make sure that we're reserving those funds for more future-facing initiatives and don't just get caught up in this time of year. I mean, that's a great point. I think we we always tell clients it's a long-term investment. This isn't just a one-stop shop. You have to really prepare and plan for this and you have to be in the right authentic space for it depending on your brand. So I think that makes a lot of sense to advise clients to hold off on some things or allocate dollars for things that they can't predict just yet but can plan for later on in the year. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's worth staying on this topic for a minute because it is so important. I mean, we've the three of us and the team have been talking about the 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 balance of authenticity and accountability in this space. And there's the authenticity of that we all have to go do better work here and to be proactive and to do the hard work that it takes to help these partners grow, recognize who they are, create awareness, work with Nielsen to provide better measurement, all those things. There's the authenticity of the messaging. So, you know, moving away from just saying we reached an audience, but rather saying we connected authentically with an audience is really important. And then I think the last thing is, is holding ourselves and our teams accountable to this. Like it is very easy and it's, it's not just diverse media owners. It's, it's a lot of small media owners that this is a tough space because it's easier to go with the known option and it takes an extra email, an extra presentation, an extra, you know, little bit to think about it. So I think holding ourselves accountable to ensuring growth and economic inclusion is really critical. And I, I will, I'll say this for, and I'm pretty sure I speak on behalf of Karen and Dave, if we're sitting here a year from now and we haven't progressed, I think we'll all be very disappointed in ourselves and we should we should hold ourselves accountable to, to be the best we can in this space. Great. I'll see you in a year, Mike. Sign us up. Right here. If we had to take a look at five years out, what's your biggest, boldest prediction around ad sales, TV ad sales? Listen, I think that's always one of the hardest questions <laughs> to answer because things continue to change. It's going to be completely portfolio driven. It's not going to be prescriptive that you're choosing a primetime show or a daytime show. We're already going in that direction anyway, but I think it'll be completely portfolio driven. It'll be more automated, more platform based from a transactional standpoint, certainly driven by audiences. And that lends itself to that platform transactional model. So that, that to me will be the future of what this upfront process will look like, whether or not we still call it an upfront or not, we'll have to see. As viewership continues to change and go in a different direction, so too will our actual transactional model evolve with it. I think you're going to see a shift of spend to be flip-flopped between what's going to broadcast and what's going to streaming and digital. It'll probably be reverse. I had to guess. The line between 
awareness and performance media will continue to become blurred. The importance of social and e-commerce will accelerate. Actually, maybe my bold prediction would be there will still be an upfront in five years, which a lot of people would love to say, oh, the upfront's dead. And the three of us have heard that since the day we started in this in this business. So my bold prediction is there'll still be an upfront. Um, well, the the fun question is, is Dave thinks it might be called something else. So like if you had to guess in five years, do we think it would be like the up, up friends? <laughs> still here. I wholeheartedly though agree with Mike. I think that the upfront is is here to stay just because making that future facing commitment will always be beneficial, not just in our industry, but in other industries that make futures type transactions also. I mean, I think we see it also in CES, right? We all say we hate CES, but for some weird reason, we gravitate back towards it. There's something about the inspiration and wanting more and to do more. I don't know why. They just announced that it's back next January, Mike, so book your plane ticket. He already did, probably. He's sending me an email right now, letting me know. (laughs) I need a room. I need a room. Are we back at the Cosmo? That's all we care about. Yes, this pod's not sponsored by Cosmo, but definitely should be. So what's the one thing you would advise agencies right now? Like, do you advise anything to anyone in this industry right now that they're missing the mark on or not doing? I think the advice would just be start with the consumer, right? Like we are really good in this industry about creating our own walls and names and fancy titles to try to, whether it's to monetize them or to create a product. I think if you start with the consumer and say, how do I get to them? And how do they think about this? That's always going to be the most important thing. And we have with data and technology now, we have so much ability to understand who consumers are, where they're at. And I know we've got a lot of things to deal with in the next 12 months around privacy and data targeting and all that. But on the flip side of that, we'll come out in a better place where consumers feel like that old trade-off between free content and return for advertising will be recognized as a value exchange again, as opposed to a tax for me to see content. We want this to be seen as a positive value exchange, as opposed to I have to pay a tax to consume the content that I want. I think one of the things I would say and advise is that we need to somewhat come together to push on measurement. You know, waiting four years, I know it takes a lot, but we've been waiting. So we need to somewhat come together to find the solution that actually makes sense for our clients and makes sense for the business because it's moving very fast and faster than I think uh, we thought it was going to be because of COVID really propelling. And we need to we need to get there for that cross-platform measurement. The only thing I would add is just continue to follow the trends and the motivations behind those trends. So similar to what to what Mike was talking about, about following the consumer that we know podcasting is hot right now. We know CTV, but what are the basis for that? It's about the consumer desire for on-demand content, right? So it's about recognizing what those underlying trends are and then trying to anticipate what is next as opposed to what is hot right now. I think just puts us in the best position to, to future-proof ourselves by recognizing that it's all about the, the consumer experience as Mike was talking about before. Okay, last question. Why do you love this business? I love it because it's exciting. It's ever-changing. It's really dynamic. I love dealing with the people and the, the social nature of the interaction of, of that we're, we're talking about relevant things, but we're working through them together. It's never dull. It's always challenging. It definitely keeps me on my toes. So 
I love everything about it. I love everything about it too. I would say I'm a big TV watcher. So loving ads and content, but you know, loving ads in general, whether it's in a magazine when I'm reading that on a plane, which I haven't done in a very long time, or seeing something on the side of the road when we did a couple drives this summer and I'm like, look, look kids like looking at a billboard, you know, it's just, you kind of see it everywhere. Everything that we do, you see everywhere. And I do love the camaraderie of the agency life. And I really appreciate and love what a family I feel like Dentsu is in terms of, and especially just like within, you know, some of the teams of how like we can joke and we can care and we've come together so amazingly throughout this past year plus. And I think that just over the years, I've worked on a lot of big teams and I just have always stayed in touch with them. And I feel like we're just one big team and one big family. And I, and I love that about this business. Yeah, I, I uh, would echo a lot of those things. I think on the business side, I love that it's a, a blend of kind of a bunch of things that, you know, there's the impact of financial markets impacts us, what happens in social media impacts us. So like, it's a business of creativity and, and art and science and finance. And I, I think that that keeps it exciting. It's very elastic. Like you never know what kind of meeting you're going to end up in or who's going to end up in, in that meeting, which is amazing. And then I just think as a community and a business, like there's so much respect for people, our ability to have impact on local communities and create friendships and bonds. I mean, we're, we're all working really hard and we're all really respectful of each other. And I think we just, you know, chance to make friends for life and our, our work and, and life do blend really close together. Um, so to be able to do it with people that you, you know, you love and admire and respect makes it a, a whole lot better. Those are all great answers. Lightning round. Best piece of content recently consumed? We'll start with Kara. Your honor. Can't tell you the where I watched it. Dave, you got anything? Yeah, I, I just watched Nomadland and it was pretty awesome. Okay. I have watched the Chicago 7 movie three times. I really loved it. That was great. I'm going to have to watch that now. Okay. Yeah. Favorite TV show to binge? I'm currently watching X-Files reruns with my son. Reruns. Do people even say reruns anymore? I'm watching extra content on Amazon Prime with my son. I don't know if I binge it, but I, I've pretty much been watching Family Feud every single night. <laughs> Weird one, but all right. There we go. <laughs> I just finished binging Eastless High on uh, Hulu, which I love. And it's very like easy snackable content. Favorite streaming service? I would say I don't have one favorite streaming service. We, we bop around. I, I, I watch various different ones with my different age, two kids that I have and a different one when I watch with my wife or myself. So um, we are equal opportunity supporters of the streaming landscape. It's crazy. I can't keep up with it. Like I never know how much money is too much money. I think it probably goes back to what we talked about before, that it's more about the content than the service. I Totally. You know, the bopping around is true because I do too. It's like, I don't, I don't really stick to one. I would use a good example, like Ted Lasso, which was on Apple TV. I mean, Apple TV, I think, has two or three good shows, but I had to buy it for the whole year. And now I tell people, you got to watch Ted Lasso. So they sign up for that. You're signing up to watch the content, not the not because the user interface is better on one versus the other. Yeah, I know. I'm still a little angry that Friends is like hijacked. Just I haven't made the investment yet, but I might be just because of that. It's worth it. I know, you have a point. What's one thing people should know about you that they don't? 
It's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I've worked here 20 years. Everybody knows everything about me. I, I, I feel like I'm an open book. Like, I don't know. I feel like I, I don't shut my mouth. So I feel like everybody knows everything. Okay, our podcast listeners probably don't. I would say I'm, I'm secretly shy, even though people think I'm an extrovert. Okay. I don't, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed I that. could be just making that up, Mike, but... You- <laughs> You told us this question this morning and I still don't have an answer. Did you like golf with someone cool? Like, did you do something we don't know? Did you invest in like a Chick-fil-A? Like, these are things that I like. I'll give another one. I once got a hole-in-one with my boss, which is just as good about getting a hole-in-one was that I did it in front of Mike Law, who I know would appreciate it and be jealous at the same time, even though he won't admit it. I would totally admit how jealous I am. <laughs> went in the hole. I heard the sound and I was like, that's in the hole. And we ran down the hill and it was, the, it was great. It was great. Really like, have nothing for me. I don't think you're going to get anything out of us, Chels. I'm kind of lame. Dave gave me two. <laughs> like, one more and it's for all of them, Dave. You got anything else? And I made up one. And I made up one. <laughs> okay, fine. I will not make you do it this time. Next year when you're back on the pod talking about up friends, start working on it. Mike, you got to start doing some more, like new things. Yeah. I'm just going to stop telling people something I'm doing. <laughs> well, thank you all for joining the pod. You were such amazing guests and I hope to have you back really soon. Thanks for having us. Can't wait to be back. Thank you. I don't even remember who that old guy was now. This is like a whole new pod. We love it. <laughs> Did you get that, Jason? Less cursing also. <laughs> yeah, yeah nothing's part of the Red Sox. So this is good. Thank you again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well.